Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. These interviews were recorded from the 13th season of our live show at the Bryan Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. Every show features an interview on an important issue and then an improv comedy performance based on that interview. You're listening to just the interview from one of those shows. We'd also like to thank our media sponsor, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can check them out at www.minpost.com. This episode of our show continues our interviews with gubernatorial candidates and features Representative Erin Murphy. She is a state representative for District 64A, located in St. Paul. She was first elected in 2006 and has served both as an assistant leader and majority leader. Her current committee assignments are Health and Human Services, Finance, Health and Human Services Reform, Rules and Legislative Administration, and Ways and Means. She has a BS in Nursing from the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh and a Master's Organizational Leadership from the College of St. Catherine. She's worked as a lobbyist and executive director for the Minnesota Nurses Association. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for for being here. I'm so excited. I came all the way from St. Paul. That's... It was a trip. Did you? And there's the train, and then there's the ferry, and the bus, and the, you have to do the layover in uh, St. Anthony. And that Anthony. bridge that you have to walk over—that's sort of rickety. Exactly. Yeah. We should fix that if you're governor. <laughs> yeah, uh, we should. So, um, so I'm so thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us. Uh, you were the first candidate to announce, and I, I, I just I, I was curious, sort of why. So you, so you actually declared for governor in 2016, right? So two full years, almost two years before. I mean, did you watch the 2016 campaign? You're like, oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. I can't let that stop. We got to just keep this thing going. Why why so early? Well, first of all, uh, I love politics. I will confess that. And it is a hopeful human experience. Are we politics? Politics, yes, politics. Uh, And I grew up in a family that loved to talk about politics, so... I have, in some form or fashion, been participating um, in health policy and politics for a long time. Uh, I am not a good uh, faker. I am not a really good liar. And I had uh, made the decision after a lot of thought um, that I wanted to run for governor. And after that stinky election, the last one, um, you know, I spent a little bit of time making sure right, that this was still like the right thing for me to do. I would be, from my perspective, the right next governor for the state of Minnesota. And when, you know, we watched that election and I thought, yep, for sure, I want to take this on. And what was it than, about the election that made you feel like, yeah, for sure? Uh, because what I saw happen was half the country not voting um, and a quarter of the country electing our president, a president that doesn't really represent my values as an American or as a Minnesotan, uh, people who I think are in harm's way because of it, um, our state budget and our, our state's future in harm's way because of it. And I think I've got a perspective and a vision about that. And I'm willing to put that out there. When you run for office, you really do have to say, here I am, in that sort of audacious way to say, I think I can do this job for the people of Minnesota and then let Minnesotans be the judge. Uh, but as I made my decision and people were starting to talk about that race, um, if someone would ask me, are you going to run? I wasn't going to be very good at saying I'm thinking about it. So I thought it'd be just better off for me to say, I'm going to run. Did you ever try to say, I'm thinking about it? And I was like, really just didn't bad work, at it. And you were mm-hmm. like, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I talked with a reporter uh, prior to the 2016 election, and she had been asking me this question, are you going to do it? And, you know, I would give that answer, you know, we're contemplating, thinking about it, et cetera. And she said, you're going to get that question a lot. You're just going to have to give that answer a lot of times. And I was like... I'm not going to do that. I would rather just file the paperwork and get going. And frankly, it is uh, important for us to make a choice about our future. Um, The person who gets elected governor uh, will have four or eight years to work with Minnesotans to build the next generation of our future. Um, That's no easy task. Um, It involves Minnesotans, uh, from my perspective. And the more that Minnesotans are involved in that, the stronger we will be when we get to that place of governing. So I wanted to give myself as much time as possible. So, so talk to us then about what what is that vision? So, what is the what is the Aaron Murphy uh, governorship look like? So, uh, since I was uh, a nurse in the transplant unit at the University of Minnesota, I have watched Minnesotans over and over again tackle tough challenges, whether it was figuring out how to cure diabetes um, by transplanting a pancreas, or fixing a kidney uh, by transplanting a kidney. Um, 
I have watched us over and over again tackle big challenges, and it is a part of who we are as Minnesotans. I remember this as a young person and moving from Wisconsin to coming to Minnesota thinking, Minnesotans are kind of high on themselves, right? Can you, I, it's, very bra- it's very brave of you to admit being a Wisconsin like native born. Like here, I said, I'm not right. a good faker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what, I guess maybe to frame this question differently, what is the transplant that Minnesota needs right now? We need to have ambition again about our future. Our politics right now are just about winning the next election. And, you know, for me in the House, that's every two years. Uh, we're really busy focusing on how to beat the other side. Uh, it is infecting, really, and bringing a Washington-style politics to Minnesota that is foreign to us. I want to push that back. Uh, we have challenges in front of us. I know we do. I think if we're paying much attention to politics at all, uh, we have an aging workforce. We're already short a workforce all over the state of Minnesota. We have racial disparities that we should put on the table and get rid of when you think about health and education and earning power, especially for women of color. We've got a health care system and a financing system that's not meeting the needs of people. And I am littered with stories uh, from the people of, of Minnesota all over the place telling me what's going wrong with their health care. We've got kids coming to school not ready to learn, an achievement gap that we should want to fix. Those are tough. They are tough challenges, but I have so much faith in us and our capacity to tackle them. Um, that's my vision. Right? So I, I, I want to talk specifically about a few of those policy things. But since you said you love politics, I, can you help articulate for us? You said we're bringing a Washington politics here to Minnesota and you want to push back. a bit. what is the Washington politics that we're bringing here and what what are, what are we pushing with? What's different? So before I was elected, um, for many, many years, I was an organizer for the Minnesota Nurses Association. I left the practice of nursing to go to work for nurses so I could work on um, the health of the people, literally, and for nurses and the, their practice. And uh, so for many, many years, I was hanging around the Capitol as an organizer when we first passed Minnesota Care 25 years ago. We led the nation with that. Uh, and then as a lobbyist, uh, eventually as their executive director, I spent a couple of years as a legislative director for Attorney General Humphrey when that office sued Big, big Tobacco and won. That was a big deal. That's another one of those moments for me when Minnesota stood up and stood out against the pack to do what they believed was right. Um, so I've sat through many sessions, and there have been sessions that have hard-fought, hard-fought issues when we think about Prairie Island, when we think about Minnesota Care. Uh, but the legislature with the governor got its work done. They got their work done. They got the budget put in place, and it balanced. Um, we got a bonding bill done. We took care of business. And since about 2003, we have been slowly moving away from that, seeing government shutdowns, um, caucuses leveraging one another um, to try and force through the legislature and onto the governor's desk provisions that wouldn't necessarily pass by themselves. That kind of leveraging of one another, that spending a lot of time uh, in the legislature taking votes just to set us up for the next election, is detracting from. It's detracting from our ability to get our work done. It's why the last three sessions uh, we have seen big pieces of legislation to our desks with very little time to look at them. They're filled with mistakes. Um, and it's because we're trying to do too much work too quickly at the end to try and force a decision that wouldn't come naturally. And Minnesotans are really left out of that, and that's no good for us. It's bad public policy making for a wonk like you, um, but it's also bad for the state of Minnesota. I just, ha, I, I'm curious about the, so how, why you think that that sort of because I think most folks here would look at the, what's happened at the legislature recently and say, yeah, that there's been a lot that's sort of left to be desired, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're thinking about bills getting you know passed in the eleventh hour or in a special session or a shutdown or things like that. But so what? What is it that leads to that? I guess sort of. Or, and so it, you know, you're a, a nurse. Like diagnose the problem so that we know sort of what maybe the solution might be. So it it. I remember when I was first elected, and I was elected into a majority. Margaret Anderson Kelleher was elected the speaker when I was first elected. Governor Pawlenty was the governor. The end of those sessions were punctuated by a win-loss story. The governor beat the legislature. The legislature beat the governor. And I remember people in the Capitol and sort of the stories that got written about our work almost in the idea of a sporting event. Not that we were in sport, but that um, the story was about who beat the other. 
Um, there are a lot of things, and I think it's probably a gradual creep yeah. um, that we've moved in that direction. Um, who's got power? You know, who's got the news story? You know, I think probably the 24-hour news cycle, social media have fed to that. Um, Citizens United, for sure, that decision. Um, and outside money coming into our elections, that has punctuated that um, that narrow map. I mean, we have a pretty fair map in the state of Minnesota. It was drawn by the courts and not by the legislature. So we are swinging back and forth because the map is fairly fair. So it's made a more competitive election cycle. But I really do think it is um, sort of rooted in this we're going to beat the other side rather than we're going to figure out how together to build our future. And I will just, I know you want to yeah, get yeah. in here. I have seen the opposite even in my tenure as a legislator. I have seen the opposite happen. I've worked with Representative Matt Dean when we found a solution for general assistance medical care. It was a hard-fought fight, um, but we did it. Uh, I saw it when I was the majority leader, and we finished on time, and that's because I worked with now Speaker Doubt to make sure that we had time frames that we agreed to so we could get our work done and get done on time, and we did. So it is not that we can't, and it is not that it is uh, entrenched, uh, but we need to focus ourselves again, and that's going to include the voices of Minnesotans from my perspective. We need more of you in this process um, to push on us to make sure that we're getting our work done. There, I, I mean, there was a shutdown when you were majority leader. No? Am I, do I have the years off? On yeah, that? yeah. Yeah. So It happened before I was the majority before leader. Before you were yeah, majority leader. In 2011. Leaders. So, I, I, and with that one, did you see the same thing then from the inside, I guess, in terms of the win-loss piece? The year that the government shut down um, was the year that it was Governor Dayton's first budget and the Republicans had both the House and the Senate. Um, those were the years that we put um, marriage equality on the ballot. We put voter ID on the ballot. Uh, and there was a giant impasse between the administration, Governor Dayton, and the Republican budget that got passed. And there was just no coming together around that. Um, so that cavern... Uh, that was impossible to cross, led to that shutdown. And the shutdown, while uh, a powerful tool to bring people back to a table, costs people that work in state government, right? They lost wages. Um, they weren't without work. It was, and you listen to people who, who have those jobs for a living, it was no easy path for them. So let's go back to, you You mentioned uh, some of the racial disparity gaps that we have here in Minnesota in terms of education, uh, employment, wealth. Uh, those <clears throat> those are things that um, we've talked a lot about here in Minnesota. So what, what is it we do uh, if uh, Aaron Murphy is governor? How do we start actually doing something? Are there new things? Is it building on things that are already there? A couple of things. So... We can't shy away from the issue, and I am not, as a candidate, and I'm talking about disparities wherever I go in the state of Minnesota, because I think it's important to set the agenda as we're campaigning, so when Minnesotans vote, they know what they're voting for. No good to pretend like this is not an issue for me as a candidate and then launch it as a governor. Um, so we have to talk about it, and I think by talking about it, we bring more people to the idea that this isn't us versus them, but instead us together and building our future. We've got a workforce shortage already, right? We have four Minnesotans uh, in the majority, people, um, Caucasians, white people. The unemployment rate is like 3.5% in the Twin Cities, but for people of color, especially black men, it's like 18%, right? we got to fix that. We need all those people to go to work because we've got a workforce shortage. So How? from my perspective, right, first we put it on the table. In education, um, I think our bet is in early learning. That's where we close that achievement gap, and I've spent a fair amount of time with a couple of Minnesota Teachers of the Year who have been very clear that that achievement gap for young learners is happening before kids come to school, and then we ask our school to fix it. So let us do more with home visiting, prenatal care, Head Start, and pre-K and high-quality child care. Those are all things that exist in Minnesota, but they're, they're funded in different ways and underfunded in some cases, pre-K being one example. So let's harmonize and make the very best use of the dollars that we're spending in early learning to close that gap and make sure that those kids have a really bright start. In incarceration or criminal justice, I think the, the Philando Castile shooting happened close to my home, and the governor's residence is in the district I represent. So that protest that happened after that shooting was right in the district I represent. That use of force standard that we have for law enforcement in the state of Minnesota is a hard one to top. 
and uh, it is the reason why the law, the law enforcement officer was acquitted in that case. I think we have to change that, right? We have to change that. I think we need to do more in training and de-escalation. That's going to require a little bit more funding in LGAs so local units of government can properly fund their law enforcement. I think we have to recognize that there is a fair amount of tension, let's say tension in Minnesota, between law enforcement and people of color, right? we got to call that out and bring people a little bit more together. What does that change of the use of force look like? We've got to change the law. Change the law. Yep. But, and so, so to lower that standard lower so that standard. a law enforcement officer can't say, I feel fear for my life and therefore I can use my weapon in deadly force. Just that standard alone, right? That's, what, that's the, how he got acquitted. We've got to change that. Most states don't have that threshold. We'll take it down a little bit. So they have to have more, there has to be more evidence that there really is a threat to their life or their safety uh, before they can use their weapon like that. Uh, another piece you've talked about is uh, you were majority leader when we raised the minimum wage here in Minnesota, but uh, you've talked about raising it further, correct, mm-hmm. if you were governor? So what what is a good statewide uh, minimum wage potentially here in Minnesota? So when I was the majority leader, we did raise the minimum wage. Um, we raised it over a three years' time and tied it to inflation, so it's nine fifty now. And we, we phased it in incrementally. And as we did that, as we finished that, and it was a really hard debate. It took us two years, the full two years of my tenure as the majority leader, to get that put in place because we got a lot of input from people all over the state of Minnesota and from a lot of businesses. It was a negotiated deal, right? On the heels of that, we started seeing local units of government contemplate $15 and organizing around that idea of $15. Um, And I think it is clear in the data that $950 while it is an increase in the minimum wage and much above the federal minimum wage, is still not going to support a family of three or four. Um, and people earning the minimum wage often have to work more than one job to do it. So if hard work, which is where I grew up in a working family, if hard work is supposed to pay off, then I think we should raise it. Um, but it is going to be litigated by the legislature. They're going to have to work that through. And I was really proud of that. It was a, I was, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, we should be able to pay, raise the minimum wage. It it took a a fair amount of work. Were there Republican votes on raising the minimum wage then? I don't, I don't believe there were any Republican I mean, votes I, on that. I mean, and right? I ask that not as like a poke in the eye to Republicans, but in the sense of, you know, uh, a lot of these things that you're talking about, I, I hear on one hand like the politics of we need to sort of change this, I win, you lose, and yet some of these seem like very partisan fights that you're proposing that, you know, if we elect you governor, we're going to jump into. And so is, I, I'm wondering if you can kind of help us square that circle. Is it changing the narrative around some of those things? Is it that the the politics change because you're governor or is it that no we we're going to fight and win on this partisan basis so we were successful when i was the majority leader because we had democrats in the house and the senate and a democratic governor but we were not all in line right the democrats on their own represent a lot of different interests so we did need to mediate we did need to negotiate oh man the democratic mediating is just who i hope whoever had that job got paid very well uh thirty-one thousand dollars a year oh good uh so so i grew up in a big irish family yeah right so i know how to sort of work my way through that either as an older sister or as a good you know we can find our way forward um i think that i do yeah i think that um there will be things that i am talking about in this campaign that are not going to initially score a lot of Republican support yeah. in the legislature. But Minnesotans support it. And we will. I'm going to have eight years as a governor to move this agenda forward. Um, and, and I know, right, when I think about paid family leave or I think about making health care more affordable or investing more in early learning, that we can find common ground if we remember that what we're trying to do is solve for Minnesota and build our future. That's where I'm going to need a little more help from the people. And that's why when I'm the governor, I'm going to hang out. out you know, I've been 11 years now um, all over the state of Minnesota. I do my job in the Capitol, but when I'm not in the Capitol, I'm out on the road talking with Minnesotans and building support for the ideas. I'm an organizer first, um, and I'll continue to do that because I think the, the voice of the people in, in our chamber, in the House chamber above it, there's a Latin phrase that says the voice of the people is the voice of God. I take that very seriously, and I'm going to serve 
um, as a representative for and a leader for the people of Minnesota, and I'm going to get my marching orders from the people of Minnesota. Uh, are there things that are different in an Aaron Murphy administration than uh, the, the Dayton administration? Are there things right now you're looking at that you're like, yeah, that needs to change? So he's um, more introverted than I am, um, for sure. And uh, <laughs> does that sound like a Minnesota thing? Uh I'm just trying to... I've never thought about Governor Dayton as an introvert or extrovert. He's just sort of a force onto himself. He and is. So, like, I, I, he, you feel like he might be very extroverted, uh, potentially, you know, uh, talking to Tina Smith until two in the morning, and then, <laughs> and then I don't know what happens after that. Uh, so, so, you know, when Governor Dayton was elected, you know, he ran on, I'm going to raise taxes and balance the budget. He's just real clear about it, real straightforward about it, and he won. Not by a huge margin, but he won. I love that about him. And um, in comparison to Governor Pawlenty, who was thinking about and then ran for governor, or excuse me, for president, um, Governor Dayton is really devoted to Minnesotans. And there are a lot of people that say, I don't really like him, but I know he's fighting for us, right? I hear that all over the place. People really respect and like him. He's got a pretty high approval rating because of it. Uh, he has shown over and over again his commitment to Minnesota. He gets really frustrated with the politics um, I think I've got a little more tolerance for the politics than he does. Um, I wish sometimes that he would just be a little more clear with the legislature about what he will and won't do. Um, and he will often, he um, he comes to every session with this openness about we're going to get it done right this time, despite the history and what he's experienced um, with some of the Republican leadership. And they will often ask that he go into a room and negotiate with his commissioners, but without allies from the legislature, from the Democratic Party, and that puts him in a weaker spot. So, um, yeah, there would be differences, but I think what would be alike would be my devotion to Minnesotans, just like his devotion. And so you're saying if you were in that space, you would go into negotiations uh, with, you know, a, a fellow party members or whatnot, as opposed to just the governor and the yeah. leaders? Of so the- I would make sure that the leadership from all four caucuses were present. I would do more of the negotiation in public. Um, I come out of labor, out of the nurses, and when you negotiate a contract in labor, when you agree, you sign. Um, we did that when I was the majority leader. It's not happening now because not all of the leaders are willing to do that. And so when you come out of an agreement, out of a negotiation, you've reached agreement inside the room, it doesn't necessarily get reported that way to the press and then to the people. We'll sign our stuff. And if a bill goes to the legislature and doesn't have 24 hours of time um, for the legislature to contemplate it, and it comes to my desk, I won't sign it. And even if it's something I like, right? Minnesotans need the time to see what we're doing. When we don't have that time, we make mistakes. There was a big mistake in the tax bill a year ago. That shouldn't have happened. We're putting our staff through a tremendous a lot of pressure. But that seems very... Ch- I mean, I can already see even just the conversation we've had. You get a bill back, and you're like, you know what? You guys passed this within 12 hours. I'm, I'm going to veto it. And now we have a government shutdown, potentially? I mean, it, it seems like that would get to be a pinch point very quickly, potentially. Well, I think if you set the rules clearly ahead of time, and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you to this. Um, let's get our work done on time. You know, there is You're a, in the legislature? I know, They don't do that? Uh, they have done that. They did it when I was the majority leader. We got our work done on time, right? Because we agreed we didn't want to have a messy ending. We agreed we didn't want to have a messy ending. And I think people of goodwill, and most of my colleagues, not every single one of them, most of them, even though we disagree strongly, have that I want to serve the public gene in them. Um, we got to flex it a little bit more. Uh so I, I should say one more time that we're going to uh, open it up for everyone to ask questions of the second part of the show. Um, oh, one thing that I wanted to ask about, you said you told the Star Tribune recently uh, so you, that there's a way to win potentially the politics of it uh, by winning, say, the Twin Cities, suburb, Twin Cities Metro and the suburbs and some regional centers. But you said you can't govern that way. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, again, there's so much conversation right now about a rural-urban divide and about uh, that we're a divided state or whatnot. And everybody says, oh, I'm the person to actually heal this or, like, bring people back. And I'm just – what – uh, I, I guess I don't know. I, I almost just want to say, convince me, me, this you know, uh, a bisexual improviser from Minneapolis, that you can go and talk to rural voters. 
So I was combining beans on Friday, which I was. Uh, when I got in the combine with the farmer down in Welch, I said, what's the thing that's bugging you the most? He said, health care. It's health care. You know, I grew up in a little town. And I grew up, my, my grandpa, my dad's side of the family, grew tobacco. Um, they had a dairy farm. Uh, my parents first lived on a farm they rented, so I lived in a farm, but just for a little while, and then mostly grew up in a little town. Um, and, you know, I, I understand what it's like to live in a little town and feel like someone's looking down their nose on you. Um, so I have an easy way, I guess, with people uh, all over the state of Minnesota, and I really like people. I think that's the thing. Um, I keep showing up like a bad penny. Um, I want to listen to people. I have learned so much from the people of Minnesota, and they're great teachers. I didn't get this when I first ran. I was a really bad candidate in the beginning. Um, you know, I'd, Wait, I'd, say more about that. Say, like, it's true. <laughs> so I was never going to run for office. Um, I took care of my mom at the end of her life. She finally door knocked for John Kerry because she was fed up with the war in the Middle East. After that election, she found out she had lung cancer. It already spread to her liver. She was a smoker, so was my dad. And I um, spent those next 11 months going back to Janesville, where they lived, and taking care of her. And uh, my parents had worked hard, right? My dad built cars for a living at Janesville uh, at the GM plant. My mom worked at the canning factory because there was corn and beans all around Janesville. Um, She worked at the grocery store behind her house. Uh, She cleaned houses for a living. I did that with her. Uh, They had good coverage. They had Medicare. My dad had worked um, with a union contract, so he had good employer-based coverage. And she had to fight to get the treatment she needed for her cancer. And it made me really mad. It made me really mad. And that's why I ran for office. At her funeral in October, her sister said, go do something. I filed for office, I think, in November. And I could not tell the story about my mom to save my soul. It was a very painful loss for me. So I started talking about my resume. I'm a nurse. My kids go to the school. My husband's a small business owner. People want to hear from here why you're running. They want to vote for someone who's going to fight for them. And it took me a little while. I was talking to people on the phone, not making a connection, so I started door knocking. And I door knocked the heck out of the district. And I learned so much about a district I had lived in for 18 years that was going on behind people's doors, what they hoped for, what they were worried about through that process. And it, it taught me, right, that the, the, the way to really represent the interests of people is to be with them and connect with them. And there was a woman in the district, um, and I, you know, I had a competitive race, so there were five of us that went to the endorsing convention, then I had a primary and a general election, and somebody along the way had said, I didn't grow up here, I grew up in a little town in Minnesota, so don't forget that you're representing the whole state. And I took that to heart, and I have spent the last 11 years spending time in our neighborhoods, in our, I've been in a lot of people's garages. Last election I was in someone's garage while he was cleaning his guns. Right? I I spend time with people in their barns and farms and schools and hospitals and clinics and businesses and community centers and in their homes. And they have taught me a lot about what makes us tick as the people of Minnesota. And I think that's why I have earned their support and I continue to earn their support. And since we've launched launched this campaign, I think we've done more than 70 house parties all over the state of Minnesota. We're getting smaller groups of people together. I think the biggest one was 50-some people in Wilmer on a Saturday night. Um, where well, we're we on can a Saturday actually, night. I love that it song. Was, it um, was, there you go. I bet, I bet Chad could put, put that to music. Yeah. Yeah, which would be great. So that's why I think I can do it, because they know me. They know I'll listen. They know I'm going to fight for them. And the urban-rural divide, I think, covers something, which is really that people know Minnesota's economy is doing well, but they don't know that they have a seat at the table. They feel like they're working hard and not making it. And that's what we need to tend to. And that's not by zip code. That's all over the state of Minnesota. On that very powerful note, please, a tremendous round of applause. Representative Erin Murphy. Uh, Okay. If you have a question, raise your hand. If you have a question, raise your hand. I will come towards you in a non-threatening manner. Oh, look at right in the front row. We have two people. And then in the back, I'm going to go right here. Representative Murphy, um, you said you're from Janesville. I, I seem to recall that's where Speaker Paul Ryan is from. What are your feelings about the Wisconsinization of America and uh, whether that might happen in Minnesota? So Paul Ryan went to the same high school as I did. He's a little younger than I am, so he's with my uh, sister-in-law. He had a funny nickname, Spitty. And uh, what I'm going to do when I am elected governor is show him what what, right? Like, let's show... Wisconsin, what progressive leadership continues to look like for the state of Minnesota and for this nation. 
Yay. Uh, so I want to dig, actually, this uh, reminded me of something that you brought up, actually, in the first half, and I wanted to just, and I know I'm going to come to the other side quickly, but uh, you mentioned that we have pretty fair maps in Minnesota because for the last few cycles, they've been drawn by courts. And uh, Wisconsin, there's a big case in front of the Supreme Court right now about whether their, uh, their uh, districts are very, very gerrymandered, that the Democrats have won larger majorities, but they have fewer seats there. Now, if you are elected, this is a long windup, if you are elected governor and a few other things happen, the Democrats take back control of the legislature, it's feasible that you would oversee a redistricting process in Minnesota. And it could be possible that you would be in a position where you might have a lot of authority over it, especially if DFL controlled everything by that point. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on do you think that we should try and keep a relatively nonpartisan, put it back into the hands of a citizen jury or courts or whatnot? Or do you say, like, we'll show you Wisconsin. You think you got a red state over there, Wisconsin? We'll show you what a blue state looks like here in Minnesota. So I would, uh, I would like to see this work go to an independent commission. And, you know, as a Democrat, as a DFLer, it would be awesome to draw that kind of a map. But what we do when we gerrymander our districts is take the power away from the people. Um, it is much harder to unelect somebody when the district is super all the way one direction, Republican, or all the way uh, Democratic. And what we see, especially in the Congress, is the, the effect of that, which is the Congress is fairly immune to the power of the people. I will say that with a footnote, that I have been so happy and amazed by the turn of democracy since President Trump has been elected and how effective the people of this country have been in slowing that down. But when you think about town halls like Eric Paulson, who's really unwilling to do much in terms of meeting with the people of the 3rd Congressional District, that's because he doesn't feel like he's got much of a challenge. And if the maps are drawn fairly, um, and, and Minnesota's got good criteria for drawing the maps, I know Beth Fisher's here. She's smarter about this than I am. If the maps are drawn fairly, giving the power back to the people, we will be more responsive. And it is one way for us to get to that place where I want to go, right, which is we are here acting on behalf of Minnesotans and building our future. Okay, I saw a hand up here, and I want to go up there to, yeah, all the way to the top. This is good good for me. Hi, I'm burning off that beer. Okay. <laughs> He's like Phil Donahue. It's really good. <laughs> uh, so I have a question about health care, since it seems that at the federal level, they're going to try desperately to not let Obamacare get better and, and provide coverage for everybody. Do you see any kind of single-payer system happening in the state of Minnesota? So I'm a single-payer supporter. And I was almost going to ask, are you a plant? Like, I mean... <laughs> We led the nation 25 years ago when we passed Minnesota Care by saying that people who work for a living but don't get their, their coverage through their employment should have access to affordable coverage. That's why we passed Minnesota Care. It was tested in the courts because of the provider tax. We passed that muster. I think Minnesota Care should be open for everybody, available for anybody who wants it, even those in employer-based coverage if they choose it. They can buy into that. I think we need to build the infrastructure so we're contracting directly from the Department of Human Services, right now we contract with health plans um, in our public programs. Let's contract directly with the providers and give more control back to the providers because they know what they're doing better than the health plans do. And I don't think we can afford that middle level anymore. They were there in the beginning to take on financial risk, but the risk is being pushed back to the state. We cover that. When we saw the individual market collapse in this last, this last enrollment year, the state legislature put nine, nearly $900 million into shoring up that individual market, that's us paying for the risk that the insurance companies don't want to take on. I don't think that's a good deal for us anymore. I think they are signaling to us pretty clearly that they don't want to participate in the way that they have. So let's build that infrastructure. Let's direct, directly contract with providers and systems because they're the ones who are going to do a better job of delivering care that, especially for people with chronic conditions, will deliver better value and better outcomes. That's where I started my work when I was a legislator, a new legislator in 2008. There are some barriers um, to going full single payer in the state of Minnesota without the participation of the federal government. Those arguing for Medicare for all, it's a great idea, but I don't think it's going to happen in the Congress right now. So let us take our next big steps forward for the people of Minnesota 
as we wait for and so, hopefully the Congress will act. I, I, I apologize. Again, Brandon hates when I ask follow-up questions during Q audience Q&A. I promise I would. <laughs> but this health care is such a big thing. I, so are you, you're talking about then a public option buy-in? Is that sort of the, the terminology maybe we might phrase this I differently? I think that that would make sense to a lot of people. In 2014, we, uh, I worked on a piece of legislation with Education Minnesota to drive down costs for school employee health insurance. We used a different public program called PEEP. It's the Public Employee Insurance Program. We said when you're negotiating your contracts, school districts, you can negotiate and get bids from health partners or Medica or Blue Cross Blue Shield, but you also have to get one from PEEP because their rates and the increases in PEEP are much lower. And guess what? The rates of those bids are coming down for people because there's a public option that's being considered. The school district still gets to decide. They could decide if they want to enroll people in PEEP or if they want to stick with the current coverage, but it's driving down costs. Why, why does the company that makes the Easter candy doing like a health care... I know, right? <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, but so, and that, are you saying that as a stepping stone then to eventually doing a system where everyone in Minnesota basically gets their insurance through the state? Uh, or is it that, you know, this having this option, that's good enough and we want to leave the private market in place as well? So there's a federal law called ERISA um, that will get in the way of ERISA us. explains ERISA. it all. I know. It's a big acronym. <laughs> but it disallows us from really um, interrupting employer-based coverage or pensions. It was a, a way to protect employers who are serving and working in multiple states offering benefits to their employees. So I can't pass a state law um, that uh, would overrun ERISA. So we can create the option for people to buy into Minnesota Care if they want to leave employer-based coverage. I talked to a physician who lives in the Senate District where I live. She had an event for Betty McCollum last week. And we wrote a, uh, a column in the Pioneer Press probably back in August about my idea of expanding Minnesota care for people and doing direct contracting. And she said, when I read that, this is an oncologist, no, it's a radiologist, so a specialist. When I read your idea, I got online and I contributed and I decided I was going to support you. She said, I was taking care of somebody with breast cancer. She has a $15,000 deductible. This is employer-based coverage, right? $15,000 deductible. She went in. She had her treatment done, she went through chemotherapy, burned through that first $15,000 deductible, got into the next year, they said they needed to do radiation, needed to do another $15,000 deductible, she didn't do it. She didn't do the radiation because she couldn't afford it. That's, that's not good enough for us. It is just not good enough for us. And there are lots of interests making money off our healthcare system. And I've always thought, at least for me, it is okay if people are going to make money in this system as long as people are getting good care. But people are not getting good care anymore, and it's riddled throughout the system. Medicare and surprise billing, drug costs, um, insurance companies really you know, pulling money out of the market at the expense of people's health. We've got to write that. And I know that we can do it in Minnesota because I've seen us do it before. Okay. Uh, I, 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 okay, I'll come back down there unless there's a hand that's going to catch me as I go down and no one is raising their hand. And so, okay, here we go. Here we, oh, yes, right Uh, you said you would like people to support you if you're a governor. So what are some specific ways that ordinary people can support your agenda uh, in the first uh, few months after you become governor, if you become elected? So Jumping way ahead. Like, I, I, I'll, you know, if you win, I'll help then uh, eventually. <laughs> It'd be nice if you help now, too. But anyhow. Um, in, yes, thank you. It's good to see you. Um, in the places where I feel like I have been most successful um, in moving an agenda, it has been with the voices of the people of Minnesota. Um, when, when I worked on the health care reforms of 2008, I had the organized voices of nurses and providers of different stripes coming to the Capitol and testifying and supporting that effort. Uh, when we did the Health Insurance Transparency Act that I referred to, same deal. When we passed marriage equality, right, the capital was filled with people, both sides, right, both people proponents and opponents of that, but people brought their voices. And as I said earlier, I'm an organizer by nature. Um, 
we are going to move a better agenda for the people of Minnesota with Minnesotans' voices included. So when I made that comment about I'm going to spend my time in the state of Minnesota with Minnesotans and not just inside the Capitol, that's why. Because I want to stay in touch with people, certainly bring them to the formal process, uh, but I, I want to make sure that um, across the state of Minnesota, as I'm talking about uh, making health care more affordable or investing in early learning or making sure our public schools are strong or taking on that hard issue of race or protecting our environment, that it is embedded with the people of Minnesota and Minnesotans across the state are talking about it too um, because that's going to lift up the agenda and it's going to force or I hope nudge or persuade more legislators to support that idea. It is not a novel idea, what I'm describing, and it is a tremendous amount of work, but I think our politics are better when we're a part of it, and when our politics are about us and our future, um, we move an agenda, and people say, hey, that's why I should participate. That's maybe why I should vote again, because they're actually talking about me and my future. Uh, I'm right here. Hi. Thank you for coming, um, by the way. Um, Thank I you, too. I'm very glad to be here. I used to resettle refugees. Um, I just left that job about two weeks ago. And so I'm wondering what, um, what is your plan for when you are governor to um, work on protecting the immigrant and refugee families um, in Minnesota, especially given the current context of states um, and the federal government on some of these issues? So when we think about especially about immigration, but refugees as well. It has generally been an issue dealt with at the federal level, um, the law, right? So that we don't have a patchwork state by state, but instead um, we have a federal policy. And then we have work that's done in the state of Minnesota. I was just at the breakfast for the Center of Victims of Torture, um, who's done, they have a, they're a gem, maybe a hidden gem here in Minnesota, but they've done tremendous work with refugees coming from other parts of the world um, and helping them come into America. Um, the refugee process, that process is a long, hard vetting process. So when people finally come here, like my colleague Ilhan Omar, um, they are here safely for a reason. Um, so first and foremost, that will be my, f my frame, right? Um, I won't ever take a, a win-tested political vote on refugees um, or immigrants. Uh, and I think we have a really important job to do as the people of Minnesota to make sure that people from around the world come here. Um, we will not build uh, the economy of our future. We will not uh, invest in the creative class. We will not have the workforce that we need um, to replace the generation of baby boomers who are going to soon leave the workforce, right? Their population is like this right now. So we do need people to come to Minnesota, and they're going to come from different parts of the states and different parts of the world. But if we close ourselves off to that because we're afraid instead of hopeful, um, that won't happen. So I will... Um, I will work in terms, of, in terms of policy, but also using the people's pulpit, the bully pulpit, uh, to speak forcefully for um, people coming to this country from other places. I was at, um, I was at the vigil um, earlier today um, for Mogadishu, and I listened to Ilhan Omar's husband, who has just come back from Somalia. He was there, and he was in Mogadishu when the bombing happened. And he said... Um, the thing that struck me that he said was, I was ready to come back to the States to say, it's safe here, it's beautiful, we can go home. It was a really beautiful story, and then, and then the bombing happened. Um, we're one big world, even though we don't necessarily want to all see that. Um, we want Minnesota to be a place that people can come and work and live and raise their families, and there are a lot of people that are coming from different parts of the world to do that. We want them to do that and do it well. Uh, do I have any other? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to go up here. Hi. Um, just wondering how clean energy fits into your plan and if it's at all related to um, getting people back into the workforce who maybe are unemployed right now. So I think our clean energy story in Minnesota is a good one. Uh, when I was first elected, Governor Pawlenty and the Republicans for that first two-year term thought that uh, climate change was real and we enacted the Renewable Energy Standard, and Minnesota has made real progress um, moving toward renewables here in the state of Minnesota, and we're ready to take that next step. And gratefully, most of the producers are with us. They see um, that the market is shifting, and they want to participate in that. 
We're also seeing wind and solar being installed. Those are good jobs for people. Um, where I think we're going to have a little bit of trouble is with people who have worked in fossil fuel electric, er, fossil fuel power generation, coal, to a lesser degree nuclear, um, and making sure that people that do that work now are prepared to take on the jobs that come with that renewable energy economy that we're building here in the state of Minnesota. I would like us to invest more in electric vehicles and the infrastructure. I think it's also time for us, as a side note, um, to invest more in our water infrastructure here in the state of Minnesota. It is outdated in lots of our communities, and they don't have the funding themselves to take care of it, and we've got a long list in terms of bonding to take care of sewer and drinking water infrastructure. It is something that brings Minnesotans together around that value of water, and it's also something that is a job producer for many, many years for the people of Minnesota. So that's a real win-win. I see the same thing happening in renewable energy and building that economy of our future. I'm really hopeful about that and excited about it because the market is really ahead of the policymakers. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, he was raising his hand from the beginning. I'm sorry. And I ignored him. I ran past him. So I'm going to come over here. Uh, yes. I just wanted to know what your stance on... Uh, uh, privatization of prisons will be in Minnesota. I'm opposed to it. Excellent. Well, that was easy. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, yeah. A plus, right? right. Uh, the governor has unusual power over the Met Council, which is uh, an issue that has been of, I don't know, it's, it's, there's a growing Republican chorus to uh, restructure the council uh, and how it's governed. So putting Southwest and some of the transit sort of hotbed issues aside, do you feel like there's reform needed at the Met Council, or is regional government working well the way it is now? Wait, why put Southwest Light Rail aside? Uh, but go ahead. Well, we need to continue to build our transit um, in the state of Minnesota. And I, I was up in Grand Rapids and met with the head of the chamber up there, and he's like, you guys need transit in the metro area because we can't get our goods through the metro area anymore. My husband's small business used to work across the metro area. They don't anymore. They just work in the eastern metro area because they can't get to the West Metro in a way that's timely for them, so they lose a lot of money doing it, so they've severed that half of the market. Um, the Met Council. The Met Council. I think it is useful for us to have people dedicated to thinking through the governance of our urban core, right? It's 12 counties now, um, and that cooperation and that eye on how are we building out, um, how are we building density, how are we making sure we're not getting too big or sprawling out, I think that's right, and it would be better there than... Um, in the hands of the legislature because we don't necessarily think in that planful way. We're not, we're not great, awesome planners in the legislature. We're policymakers. So I'm always going to be open to ideas and reform, but I think the political chorus around it being broken and we don't like it is really just a struggle over power. Um, and that one by itself is not a mover for me. I want to make sure the Met Council is doing a good job. I want them to be future-oriented um, so that we get a good, good amount of work out of the Met Council. Um, and as I said, I'll look at ideas for reform, but it is not the top chief priority for me right now. Uh, like the idea of them being elected versus, I mean, you would be governor. You get to pick, uh, like, most of them, all of them. So you get to just pick 12 people to, like, you know. Super powerful. Yeah, right? that's fun. Uh, so, but the, for right now, you're saying you think that that's working, that's, that's okay, that's working okay? It's okay. Yeah. Um, if, 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 if the legislature decided, it's, fine. it's okay. If it's the legislature okay. decided they should be elected instead because they do have a fair amount of power and responsibility, that's okay with me too. Okay. okay. Um, uh, so a couple last ones, uh, that I wanted to, to get to. So we, uh, we talked about, uh, healthcare, um, we talked about minimum wage, uh, oh, uh, you, you, you said you were there in the legislature when we passed medical marijuana. That was a hard... That was a very hard and difficult issue to pass. Would you also then sign uh, recreational marijuana for adults? Yeah. <laughs> Just, you're in Uptown. I thought I'd give you an applause line. <laughs> okay. uh, so I guess um, I would just end by uh, we already somebody already asked you know so what what can people do? I'm curious, sort of uh, what are the 
What are the questions that you wish more people were asking, either of you or of the candidates generally, right? I mean, there are a lot of people, and I think you'd agree, there's a lot of good people running mm-hmm. for for governor and whatnot. And, uh, and it's very easy to say, oh, uh, you know, vote for me. But I'm curious, like, what are the questions that you actually think people should be asking that'll help them figure out who they should be supporting, who aligns with their values? Hmm. People ask a lot of questions. I will tell you that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and there are, almost everywhere I go, a lot of the questions will be the same. Um, what I wish, um, and this is probably not answering your question, right? But yeah, that's fine. We're at the end of the are, show. Yeah, there you go. And you're almost <laughs> at the end of your beer. Um, there are some real challenging issues in front of us. Um, and our politics tends to polarize, and we're polarized on some issues here in the state of Minnesota. And... Uh, I have found, and when I first was elected, I thought I live in a district that is a pretty strong DFL district, and you know my first race had a Green Party, cha- I had a Green Party challenger. So I thought if I go to, to not to the center but to a compromise, I'm going to run a follow the people, and that actually wasn't the case. Um, if you stay in communication with the people that sent you, um, and let them know why you're making the decisions you are, even if they don't agree with you, they respect it. I want um, Minnesotans, and I will say this sometimes when they come to my office, tell me what it is you're thinking. Tell me what you want. Often people will come to my office, and they will come to lobby. It'll be citizens, or it'll be not usually the paid lobbyists, but citizens will come with a point of view, but they won't ask me for anything. I want people to ask us again um, to do our jobs. I want people to push us to do our jobs. So ask us. Are you effective? Have you gotten something done? Right? How do we know that you can do this job? I am maybe not the most likely person to be the governor. There hasn't been a, a woman yet, and I'm short. I'm told this all the time. Um, so there's a guy that said... For the that, record, I did not bring up either of the... That's right. But I had a, a really good friend of mine say to me one time, well, you know, we've never elected a woman. All we've really ever elected for governor in the state of Minnesota is tall white men. So how are you going to do it? Right? I don't think my, my gender, my zip code, the color of my skin, or my height are really the qualifications for the job. It's what I've done um, as a nurse, right? You don't get to walk away from things that are hard. You don't get to walk away from a patient um, when they're sick and it's challenging. You have to stay and do the job and make a decision based on what's there with you, even if it's not the decision that we want. People are counting on you. And when I ran for office, I didn't get this at first. But when I would say, my name is Aaron Murphy, and I am running for the House of Representatives, I'd love to talk to you about it. I felt like I was beginning the same conversation I would begin when I went into a hospital room to say, I'm Aaron Murphy, I'm going to be your nurse today. You make a compact with that person. And when people voted for me, I felt like I made that same compact. I've been given this responsibility to do the work of the people of Minnesota. I take that very, very seriously. I want that from you. I want you to invest in the people who are elected, and the candidates, uh, the challenges, the ideas, your hope, your aspiration, some ambition again, so that we think about our capacity to solve the challenges in front of us. If we get eight years of tepid, we'll get eight years of a tepid future. If we get eight years of ambition because we see our capacity, we will move forward. That's what I want from you. That's what I want to do with you. That's why I'm running for governor. I hope I hope uh, to earn not only your vote, but your support and your trust, because it'd be good to have a little more faith in our politics again. On that note, please, a tremendous round of applause, Representative Aaron Murphy! Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.